0: God's presence in our midst. And we're going to be continuing our series this morning on God's interruptions uh, in our life. And even though from our point of view it looks like an interruption, from God's point of view it's a divine appointment. And I don't know if you've ever had an appointment that you forgot about. Sometimes life's a little bit like that. Uh, It's just that we don't always know what God has planned for our lives and He will break through to bring about all of the things that he wants in our life. And it is a disturbance, a disruption, an interruption to our life. And yet God has a vision and a dream for that interruption. So we're going to just quickly cover the four stages of God's interruptions, just so we get up to that same point as we launch into a, a new message on it. God's interruption, his appointment for your life. That makes us feel... Significant because God has come into our life to fulfill his purpose and plan. And with every interruption God brings about in our life, there's a cost or a challenge that God brings. He never just comes into our life for no purpose or reason, but he comes to bring a challenge. And that challenge usually is to let go of something, to let go of something so that we can take hold of something else in our life. And then finally, God looks for a response of obedience in our life. He looks for obedience. He wants us to obey his challenge and his call to follow him. And then finally, out of that obedience, we find the blessing of God. God brings a blessing into each and every life. And these verses are the two verses I just want to hold up each week. Maybe we can memorize them. A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Uh, Proverbs 16 9. It's it's God that directs our steps. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've planned things in my life. I'm going to do this and I'm going that way. And God will come in and often intervene to direct our steps. Uh, But there is. A condition on that, Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, as we trust in the Lord with all of our heart and we lean not on our own understanding, which is just so limited, in all of our ways acknowledge him and he will direct our paths. And so there are some conditions on knowing this direction from God. We don't lean on our own understanding, we trust in God, we acknowledge him and he will direct our paths. And so going back two weeks, we've looked at Abraham, where God moved him from his own purpose to God's higher purpose. And we saw that in the change of name, Abram, which means high father, to Abraham, which means the father of many nations. And what a wonderful purpose God had for him. And maybe he didn't even realise it at the beginning when God said, I want you to go out and you don't even know where you're going, but God's got a higher purpose. And then last week, We looked at the widow of Zarephath and we saw that God came into the life of this this particular woman through Elijah and to bring about a change in how she lived her life, movement from living by sight to living by faith. And in the messages that I want to bring in each of these weeks, there's a different purpose that God has. For Abraham, it was about purpose. For this woman, it was about learning to live by faith, And not by sight. And what a wonderful story that is. Can you imagine the the woman and her son going in each morning and watching the bread and the oil diminish and get less and less until the final day? Mum, there's only one day's worth of oil and and meal left, and then then we're going to starve. And so she went outside to get sticks, to to make a fire, to to make some uh, bread, and then they were going to die. And then Elijah bursts into a life and encourages us not to live by sight, but to live by faith. And what excitement each day must have brought for the family as the, the boy would get up in the morning probably and race upstairs and look and say, the barrel was empty yesterday and it's got some meal in it again. The oil, the jar of oil was empty, but now it's got oil in it. What excitement that is when we wake up each day and discover his mercies anew. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at Philip and in his life... God was seeking to move him from being a fruitful person to move into much fruitfulness. And it's an amazing, this is an amazing story in his life. And so we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8, 26 to 40 to see how God wants to move this man from being a fruitful man to being a man who was much fruitful. He's got greater abundant fruitfulness in his life. And yet sometimes we settle for second best. We settle for just enough. We settle for a little bit of fruitfulness. But God's got in his heart and mind a greater measure of fruitfulness for you and for me than we could ever imagine. And now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise up and go toward the south on the way that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And this is desert. And so he rose up and he went. And there was a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace. Queen of the Ethiopians, who was in command of her entire treasury. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, obviously a man of faith. And he was returning, sitting in his chariot and reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And the spirit said to Philip, go to this chariot and stay with it. And then Philip ran to him and heard him read the book of Isaiah, the prophet, And said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will speak of his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, of whom does the prophet speak? Of himself or of someone else? And then Philip spoke, beginning with the same scripture, and preached Jesus to him. And as they went on their way, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he commanded the chariot to halt. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord took Philip away. And the eunuch said he saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached the gospel in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. What an amazing story that is about God's interruption in his life. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise up and go. Rise up and go. God invaded his life. He called him to move out. There's an amazing aspect of this that sometimes we miss. If we go back a little bit earlier in that chapter, Acts 8, 5 to 8. And this is how Philip actually got to Samaria. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in the city. And so we see God's interruption into his life is in the midst of a mighty revival. Philip goes down to Samaria. He preaches the gospel. He casts out demons in Jesus' name. He prays for the sick and they're healed. And this is a tremendous revival. The whole city of Samaria is in an uproar. And it's part of the plan of God, where he gave a commission to the church go to Jerusalem, Judea. Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And Philip was one of those who was willing to move out under the direction of the Spirit. He goes to Samaria, he preaches, and with signs and wonders, he testifies to the risen Christ. And there's a mighty revival in the city. The whole city is indeed in uproar. And there's, there's people being saved and healed. And right in the midst of that, you would think, now this is a good place to stay here's a lot of fruit happening people being saved and healed and delivered and all the rest this is where i should be this is a sign i should stay here can you imagine philip thinking yep this is where i'm setting up camp right here amazing things are happening and yet in the midst of that incredible fruitfulness in the midst of revival the spirit of god comes through an angel to him and says get up and move and it goes so counter to our thinking we live in a world where the world encourages us to be successful or be fruitful. And that's where you stay. You, you be fruitful. You be successful. And Philip found a real challenge in the midst of that revival. How would you feel if you were in the midst of a mighty revival of God and then the spirit said, I want you to get up and I want you to go out to a desert place? I'd be challenging that, saying, well, hang on a minute. There's great stuff happening here. I don't want to go out to the desert. There's nobody out there. An angel of the Lord. Rise up and go. And so he went out to a desert place. In fact, it's interesting. There were two roads from Jerusalem down to Gaza. One was a beautiful road, a beautiful countryside and all the animals and all sorts of nice things and rivers. The other one was a desert road. And the angel said, I want you to go on the desert road. And so here is poor Philip confronted with this challenge to move out of incredible fruitfulness, to move into something that looked like desolation and desert and despair. And in fact, as we look at the story, he never even got down to Gaza. He didn't even get there because on the way, he met the Ethiopian eunuch. And one of the greatest challenges for us as Christians is to be able to move on from a place of fruitfulness to something that appears to be unfruitful to our eyes. We feel like we want to stay there and we can get locked into various methods and approaches because they seem to be working. And it's very, very interesting as you look at the history of revivals. Every revival has persecuted the next revival. Every one of them in history. So God will do a mighty work and he'll do it in a particular way. And then God will seek to bring a new revival. And the previous revival will rise up and say, but we don't do it that way here. Isn't that the final words of a dying church? We don't do it that way. And the cloud of God has got up and moved on. And we've got to move on with God. We've got to be willing to adapt and change and not hold on to the blessings and the fruitfulness, but be open to greater blessing and fruitfulness in God. And Deuteronomy has a real word of caution in terms of this particular area. Deuteronomy 8, 11 to 18. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are full and have built and occupied good houses, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. And so, when God blesses us, there's a tendency within the human heart to want to take that blessing and make it permanent. And to hold on to it. And all we do in the end is choke that. And we think this is the way it's supposed to be. I want to stay in the middle of that blessing. And it could be a ministry that we're involved in. It could be that God's called us to minister to children or youth or the elderly or or men or women or whatever. And we find great fruitfulness and we say, I want to stay here. I want to be involved in this forever. And so we can lock God out. Because of success. Success and fruitfulness can be one of the greatest obstacles to our future success or fruitfulness. Two reasons that research has shown why this is so. Number one is it can lead to pride and complacency. And I can imagine Philip might have been in the city there of Samaria and he might have been saying, This is really good. He would have been really prominent. They would have been saying, Philip. He was the one God used to bring the revival. Just settle back, relax, and enjoy the blessings and the fruitfulness. But we see from Philip's response that that wasn't in his heart. When God came along and said, Philip, get up and go, he got up and he left that revival. He moved out into something new. So complacency and pride, as we see in Deuteronomy there, can be a real obstacle when we think that we made it happen. In fact, the next section tells us, you may say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth, but you must remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to get wealth. And it just reminds me of the story of Nebuchadnezzar, who came out on his veranda and he looked out and he looked at all the kingdoms that he had, the greatest kingdom in the world, and he said to himself, I have done this by my amazing power and my incredible ability. And at that very instant, the hand of God came upon him and he ate grass for years before one day he rose up and he came to his senses. And then he came back and he acknowledged the God who had given him that status, that power and that position. And so as God's people, we're called not to hold on to the blessing, but to hold on to the one who blesses. To let our heart and our life be linked into Jesus Christ. Not the blessings that he gives to us or the fruitfulness that might come through our ministry. And the second, uh, beyond pride and complacency, is a lack of openness to new things. I mentioned a little earlier. We've got to be so open to God. God's always saying, I am doing a new thing. Are you open to the new thing? And you know, maybe there's a time when hymns were the thing. And then we moved on to choruses and then we moved on to something else. But you know, God can use all of those to bless hymns and choruses and songs and a whole range of things. But if we only get locked into one and say, I'm just going to sing hymns or I'm just going to sing choruses or I'm just going to preach from the King James Bible because if it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for me. Now, we all know the Apostle Paul didn't use the King James. But we can limit, we can limit God by saying, this is the only way you can do it, God. And as soon as we've said that, we've missed God. God can do it in new, fresh ways, beyond any of our control or manipulation in life. And so we see Philip's response and initial obedience. He rose up and he went straight away. There was no argument and it's very interesting when we look at great men of the Bible like Moses. He even argued with God. He said, Oh, God, I, you know, I, I'm not a man of eloquence now after 40 years of looking after sheep. Go and get Aaron and use him. And he wanted to discuss it with God and argue with God. But here we find Philip, it just says he rose up and he went. As soon as the angel appeared to him, he was off. In spite of the attractions of previous success and fruitfulness. He wasn't bound to success. He wasn't bound to all the blessings that God gives. And we we can get locked into the blessings that God gives to us and we can forget the blesser. We can forget God. And we see in his life more than just an initial obedience, but an ongoing obedience. He was a man who had in his heart that he was just open. God, you say it, I'll go do it. I'll just launch out. And in Acts 8, 29 to 31 and 35, the Spirit said to Philip, go to this chariot and stay with it. Then Philip ran to him and he heard him read from the book of Isaiah, the prophet, and said, do you understand what you're reading? He said to him, how can I unless somebody guides me? And so he invited him to come up and sit with him. Philip spoke beginning with the same scripture and he preached Jesus to him because he had a heart to preach Jesus, not to hold on to blessings and fruitfulness. Because he knew that wherever he was obedient, there would be more fruitfulness in the things of God. The journey for Philip, or the destination for Philip, was the journey itself. That he was just following God as the cloud did in the wilderness, got up and it moved at various times. Then the people of of God got up and followed the cloud through the wilderness. And God calls us to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit daily. To be people who are willing to let go of things that we value, of the blessings that God has given. So that we can move on into greater blessings with God. God's blessing. Why did God interrupt Philip's life? To move him from being fruitful to greater measures of fruitfulness. Now maybe to his natural eyes he would have thought, but this doesn't look good going out into a desert on a, a road that seems to go nowhere and leaving behind all of the things that are, to everybody that's there, such incredible blessing. What, what an amazing situation. The whole city was filled with joy, it said. People were, were being born again and coming into a new, fresh relationship with God. But we read from John 15, 1 to 8, it says... I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes it, that it may what? Bear more fruit. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit. Fruit. And so God has a plan for our life and God will invade and interrupt our life to move us from fruitfulness to more fruitfulness to much fruitfulness. And sadly enough, we can at times get locked into just thinking that I'm fruitful here. This is good enough. I know Jesus. I'm going to heaven. I go to church on Sunday and I pray. And we can think that's the level of fruitfulness that God has for us. If we only realise that God has a greater measure of fruitfulness. He wants to use us like he used Philip to bring salvation and blessing and healing and deliverance into the lives of people. This is a multi-pastor church here at Logan. And all of the people sitting in the seats today are pastors. We are called to minister. We are ordained of God to take our unique gifts to bring blessing and to be open to move into desert areas to bring greater blessing into the lives of people, just like Philip. And if you look at the history of the church in the book of Acts, it was very interesting. When God said, go into all the world, the people began to move out under persecution Isn't that sad? Sometimes it takes persecution to get us moving. God has to put a bit of a bomb under us to get us to actually get up and start being involved and serving God. And it says in the book of Acts that the last group of people to move were the apostles. Those who were leading the church were the last to actually go out there. And there's an encouragement in God's word that each and every Priest to God, which is all of us here today, would be willing to respond like Philip, to move into those areas that seem desert areas, because in those desert areas, God's got a purpose. Philip didn't know that as he moved along that road from Jerusalem to Gaza, that he was going to encounter an Ethiopian eunuch, who he would preach the gospel to, who would make a commitment to Christ and be baptised, And who would go back to Ethiopia and himself bring a revival there. Now, who could have seen that? Tradition says that eunuch who was the head of the treasury for Candace went back and promoted the gospel there. And there was a mighty revival of God. And Philip may never have found out about that. He may never have seen that. Because as soon as he came up out of the water... He was supernaturally transported to somewhere else. How amazing is our God? Supernaturally moved somewhere else. So an angel appeared and he moved and then the spirit turned up and he was gone. And he says he found himself in this particular place. What a wonderful journey he was on. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. Let's look at how this applied to his life very specifically. Because it's a beautiful story of this man who is just open to God to move on with Christ. In Acts chapter 6, verse 3 and 5, it talks about Philip. That's the first time we hear about this man. And he's one of the seven deacons that were selected. It says there, when the apostles said, look, we shouldn't be waiting on the tables, not because it's below us but because we need to pray and and get into the word of God. And it said, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of faith and the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And they chose among the others, Philip. Wow, what what a criteria. Even to serve on the tables outside, you have to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and faith. Wow, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? Here we find Philip. He begins with what looks like a very menial task. He's waiting on the tables. He's doing what he can do in that situation. And the leadership discerns something in him. But then we see as he moves on from there to more fruit. The next time we find Philip is the story that we've just looked at in Samaria. Philip went down to the city, he preached the gospel, there were tremendous signs and wonders. And so out of that, what seemed to be a very lowly, menial sort of beginning as a deacon serving on the tables, giving food to widows and orphans and those who are poor. The next thing we find Philip, because he's faithful in that, he's out there as an evangelist, winning people into the kingdom of God. And so he was prepared to leave being a deacon, blessing people, to be an evangelist, to move out into new things. And then finally, as we move on in his life, we find he reaches a place of much fruit. And this next one may surprise you. He ended up being a dad. He ended up being a dad. In Acts 21, 8-9, if we go back to our section we looked at today, as he came up out of the water, the Spirit transported him to a particular place, and then it says he went on towards Caesarea where he preached the gospel, and 21 years later we find him there again. He's still in Caesarea, he hasn't moved on, but he stayed there and he's moved into much fruitfulness. And it's a time when Paul is bringing his missionary party to Caesarea. Paul's companions came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist who was one of the seven, so we're sort of seeing his history unfold here, and he stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And so we see Philip had moved on from merely doing the work himself. He'd raised up a family, got married, he'd settled down. He was still doing the work of an evangelist in this big city, but then he had four daughters and uh, he'd raise them up and they were prophesying in the city. It just reminds me of that verse where Paul says to Timothy, pass on to other men who will pass it on to other men. And so he began to mentor leaders and and ministers in the faith. And his four daughters, what a great place to start in your family. Start in your family. Start in your family and then go out from there. I'm sure he blessed many others in the city. He was a prominent leader in the city, but he raised up his daughters in the faith and they were prophesying to the city as well and to those uh, within the city. And so his movement was from a place of fruitfulness, to, to more fruit, to much fruit. And, and that's God's purpose for us too. God will invade our lives if we seem to be stuck in a place, if we seem to be stuck in a ministry. And even though it's being fruitful, God has something more for us. And oftentimes it will look like it's desert. When God says, I want you to go from there to this place that looks like a desert. But we don't know what we will meet on the way. What a wonderful story. He met this eunuch. And you might even ask the question, what was the eunuch doing on that road? Normally, he would be taking the the road that most travel, not the road least traveled. And yet that's exactly where Philip met him. And he ran up to the chariot. And he, he, he exercised a tremendous ministry in the life of this man. Then we find Philip at that place where he's raising up his daughters and he's multiplying his ministry. So it's no longer just Philip. It's Philip and his four daughters and all of the others that he'd raised up in that place. What a wonderful sign of the ministry of Philip. That as we go from fruit to, to more fruit to much fruit... There's just an increase in joy. If you look in Acts 8.8, 8, it talked about what the great sign in the city was joy. People were filled with joy because they were coming into new life. Why wouldn't you be joyful? People were being healed. Why wouldn't you be joyful? And then we see at the end of the story with the Ethiopian eunuch, it says, he went on his way rejoicing that there's great joy. Christians, in spite of the difficulties we go through, and Leanne emphasized a little bit of that this morning, we all have troubles, but there's a joy that's bigger than all the circumstances. In Christ, we can rejoice because we have eternal life. We know the God of all creation. We know where we're going beyond this life. That gives us joy, in spite of the fact that, boy, it can be tough at times, can't it? It can be tough financially, it can be tough in our, our health, it can be tough in relationships, it can really seem to overshadow us, but the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so we find Philip passing that on. Just in closing, I want to ask the, the team to come up now as we, we close. Philip had a choice, and it's the same choice that we have. And we saw that in John fifteen two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit and ultimately an abundance of fruit in all that God has for us. As folk in life, as we walk with God, we have a choice. We have a choice, the same choice there. If we don't bear fruit, God takes us away. Whatever that might mean, it can mean a whole lot of things. It can mean that we we lose the ability to use, use the gifts that God has given to us. But if we bear fruit, there's going to be a pruning. Have you ever been pruned by God? Sounds a bit painful, doesn't it? But it's not as painful as being taken away. And so when God prunes, he sometimes will prune things off our life and off our church and off our city and off our land so that we can bear more fruit. Now, if any of you get a chance to talk to my beautiful wife, Glennis, you will know that one thing that fills her with fear and trepidation is when she sees me coming with the secateurs and I'm going to prune a bush. I actually did that on Saturday. I went out early, out into the yard and I had my secateurs and the the bush right over on one side of the property just seems to go through the roof and it's a metre or more, nearly a metre and a half above the fence And so I go along and and every now and again I'll look back towards the back door just in case. And on one occasion she was there and she's looking out and the head's going like this. Because I just slaughter the top of the bush and then hopefully that new growth will come through. But you know when God comes to prune our life, he comes with gentleness but still with a challenge. Still with a challenge. Rise up and go. Let go of the things that may have been fruitful so you can take hold of new things that will bring forth much fruit in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the life of Philip. What a tremendous example it is. Father, we pray that you will help us to have the same heart and spirit that he had. That as you interrupt our life in whatever way you choose to do it, that we will be willing, like Philip, to rise up and go. To go to places that we don't even know where we're going. To move into desert areas things that don't look fruitful but as we move into that area we will find our Ethiopian eunuch someone that we can invest our life in someone that we can preach the message of Jesus Christ to Father I pray that you would so transform our hearts that we will move from fruit to more fruit, to much fruit for the sake of your kingdom. That we will invest our time and our gifts and our energy and our all into the lives of others so that they too might rise up and serve you. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen.